You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6 with us. Luke chapter 6, we'll be getting right where Jake just read for us in verse 46. As you're turning there, um, I, you know, I really love sports. Raise your hand if you love sports in the room. Okay. Yeah, most of us in the room. I, I grew up playing sports most of my life. Um, I, I was actually a fairly decent athlete. Nothing amazing, but I certainly wasn't the guy riding the bench, if you know what I mean. And uh, I, I used to actually have really nimble feet. Uh, I don't know that they're still that way, but I used to have really uh, good reflexes and athletic ability, and then the 30s came, and, you know, uh, Dairy Queen's really good to me. But um, I, I was coaching football several years ago in Cobb County up in Metro Atlanta, and several of the coaches on the staff, they were Division I athletes. One of them played at Penn State. One of them played at Michigan. One of them played somewhere in the West Coast. I can't remember which one. And we were all kind of sitting around the room and, you know, kind of looking at each other like, I can tell that that dude played at Penn State. I can tell that that guy. And they're like, so Chris, where'd you play? And I'm like, yeah, you know, a little small D3. So that means you're nothing, right? I'm like, okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Anyway, we're, we're talking, and they, one of them looks at me specifically, and he goes, how, how tall are you? I said, you know, 6'2", six 6'3". Six he looked down at my, my shoe, and he said, what size shoe do you wear? And he says, and I said, well, you know, 10 and a half, 11. He goes, how do you stand up? <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was, yeah, it's funny now. It was not funny in the moment, right? It was like, look, I'll race you right now, and, you know, I'll beat you, and talk to all the trash that was, you know, uh, couldn't back it up at all because he would have destroyed me. But what he was asking at, what he was getting at in that moment was a question of foundation, right? It, it was a question determining how, how does someone as tall as me and as large as me stand up and have decent balance with such a small shoe? Because the foot's not that small, it's just a shoe. But today we're going to wrap up this sermon series, uh, Sermon on the Mount, we're looking at the end of Jesus' sermon in the Gospel of Luke as he's communicated all sorts of things to this crowd. The one thing that he's going to land on is our foundation. And that's, if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my sermon is Foundations. And we're going to discuss the importance of foundations and how we can have a solid foundation rather than a foundation built on really anything else. So let's, let's dive into the word, and we'll get there. Verse 46, as he read, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Right here, at the, the opening of this kind of paragraph is the ending of Jesus' sermon. This is really that moment when the, the preacher gets up, and he, he, he says those famous words in closing, right? Hey, my last point is, my final point is, and this is the moment where we have a tendency to kind of turn everything off, right? You start closing your Bible, and you start thinking about lunch even more if you weren't already, and, and this is that moment, but Jesus is a good preacher, so nobody's, you know, tuning out on him, right? This is that moment where he's trying to get them to lean into everything that he has said. Here is what all of it matters. Here is why all of it adds up to one thing. Jesus brings all of these things to a point, kind of a fork in the road. So I've said all of these things, 
And now you have to make a choice. I want to read some of the things that he said. It says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hungry, who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. And if that didn't flip the script and turn the world upside down enough, he ends some of those statements by saying these things. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. After all of those things, those kind of 180 differences in the world, right? We're not raised to go, yeah, being hungry is a good thing. We're not raised to bless those who curse us. We're not, we're not raised to love those who hate us. We're taught by the world and everything around us to kind of get yours and get even and don't let anyone ever take advantage of you. And Jesus makes all of these statements and what he's going to do next is he's going to say, now you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice whether you're going to just let this go in one ear and out the other or whether you're actually going to be a disciple of Jesus. Because there is no middle point is what he's going to say here in just a moment. And in so many ways, what he's actually going to point us to is that I don't need you to choose with your words, but I need you to choose with your actions. Words come easily sometimes, don't they? When I do marriage ceremonies, most of the time I stand in front of those two people about to be married, and I look at them and I say, today the words that you will say to each other will come easy, but living them out will be a completely different thing. And it's a lot like that with our relationship with Jesus. Sometimes it's really easy at a camp or on a Sunday morning or at whatever else in, in your life when you've hit the, the rock bottom to go, Jesus, save me. But when we leave that situation, when the emotion has gone, do we still believe in that Jesus? Is he still the captain of our ship? Or have we said, hey, hold on, let, let me take over for a moment while you just kind of chill. Jesus is going to ask us to put our faith, our hope, our life, our everything on him and not on ourselves. And he begins with this harsh statement. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Now, this, this statement kind of brings a lot of memories and a lot of moments in Scripture to my mind, but to unpack first and foremost what this really kind of alludes to and points to is this, 
this, this statement of Lord, Lord is a, a statement of respect. It's a, it's a statement of submission and honor. And what he's going to tell us and what he's telling those people in that moment is that he doesn't want them to just say these words and then live something different. He wants them to say these words and then mean them because they mean something very important. I love Matthew's account of this same sermon. Matthew chapter 7. He's, he's recounting this same sermon in a different manner. He gives us a few more details. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Jesus goes into some more details about this Lord, Lord, or at least that Matthew records, I should say. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Catch, the, catch this. On that day, these people who have said, Lord, Lord, right? And now they're doing things. On that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare, declare to those people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do not miss what's going on here. Jesus has preached a sermon that has flipped everyone's world upside down. And he's ending it with this kind of haymaker moment to say that your words mean much less than your actions. Your actions are, all, are not always indicative of your intentions. He's pointing to these people who do a lot of things. They do a lot of good things, right? There's folks who, who go out and serve in the community. They, they, they love really well. They give like they've just got the most gracious and merciful and giving hearts. But Jesus looks deeper. And he looks at their motives and he looks at their heart. And he says, yeah, all those actions, all those prophetic things that you said in my name and those mighty works that you supposedly did in my name, they were really nothing more than works for you trying to earn your way into heaven. Now, think about that. Because that, that, that's a tough rub, right? You're probably sitting there going, well, how do I ever know if I'm actually saved, right? Like, how do I know if, I, if, if, if I'm in Christ because I'm trying to do the right thing, not necessarily so that I can earn my way because I understand that justification, meaning being just, justified, being righteous, only comes through Christ. I could never earn that. I could never do anything to, to hit the mark of holiness. I have to have Jesus. But there's this balance, right? Faith without works is dead, is what James says. So how do we ensure that we are actually doing these things for the right reasons? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my heart lies to me, right? Like I think I'm doing something for the right reason, and then I wake up and go, man, maybe my intentions weren't the best in that situation. Like how do I make sure that this is the right thing, the right way, at the right time, and in order to answer that question, I want to go back 
I want to look at a couple of Old Testament texts because I want to reveal to you that this is not a new battle. So I think sometimes in the church, we go, okay, when Jesus came, everything changed. And that's not necessarily true because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so what changed when Jesus came is that he made it a lot easier for you and for me. The revelation was clear. Before the Messiah, the revelation was probably a little more shrouded. But we, we know that people got it because if you go to the, the Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 10 and 11, it says that what? Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham certainly did good works. Moses did good works. Jacob, all these people did great works. But all of the works were in faith. So it isn't the works that did anything for them, but it was the faith. Essentially, it was the foundation. So I want to go back. Let's first turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. That's in your Old Testament. I'll have the scripture up there for you. Jeremiah chapter 2. This is a picture of where the people of God in the Old Testament battled this, this war of idolatry and kind of broken theology. It reads like this. This is Jeremiah speaking on behalf of the Lord. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. There's this, this Old Testament covenant, this promise of God's faithfulness, as we sang earlier, that God is faithful throughout all time. And then comes this next verse. It says, for cross to the sea, or cross to the coast of Cyprus and sea, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has ever been such a thing. So what he's setting up right there is this moment, what he's saying to the people, and he's saying to you and to me today, is look around the world. Take notice of people who, who supposedly say that they follow Yahweh. These followers of God, take notice of what they do. And he says, has a nation changed its gods, little g, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O oh, heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Now, before I get to those two evils, I want to make sure you understand what's going on. He says, look around the world. Look, look, look at the people who supposedly say that they follow God and see that the way that they live does not line up with the way that they speak. They say that they are proclaimers and followers of God, but yet they do things that do not line up with that. And it's not only just, you probably heard us say, like, it's one thing to sin, it's another thing to live in sin. Like, those are two totally different things, right? You're never going to escape sin this side of heaven. But God does break all bondage and chains and gives you the ability to live outside of sin. Does that make sense? 
Like, it's one thing for us to just kind of mess up. It's a very different thing for us to live in that mess and to say, oh, it's okay. One day when I get to heaven, it'll be gone. Jesus says, no, throw all that weight off and take on my yoke because it is light. It is easy. So all the addictions of this world, all the struggles of this world, all the sin that comes at you, it is one thing for us to sin. We're going to. It's another thing for us to accept the sin and say, it's all right, let's just live here. There's grace. That's not the picture that Jesus paints for us. It's not the picture that God paints throughout his scripture. He says, if you are a child of mine, you will strive for righteousness. You will strive for me and my glory. And that's why he says they have changed their glory for that which does not profit. And they've committed two evils. The first one, they have forsaken me. They've gotten rid of that foundation. They have kind of turned their back on who God is. They have forsaken who he is. They have the fountain of living waters. And because of that position that they've taken in their life, you know what they've done? They've hewed out cisterns, wells, pits for themselves, hoping that this new water would be enough. He says that it was broken cisterns and they cannot hold water. Jesus comes, he says, I am the living water. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. And in so many ways, when he says this to the woman at the well, he's referring back to moments like this. He's referring back to these moments where we say we love God, we worship God, and he is our foundation. But in reality, we've kind of turned our back on him, and we've started to hew out, started to dig new wells looking for that water, looking for that thing in our life that will quench your thirst. In a relationship, in a job, in notoriety, in financial peace. No reference to Dave Ramsey there, right? We look for things to make us feel better about life when we've turned our back on the ultimate foundation of who God is. And what we've done is we begin to rely on our works rather than have faith that God is going to see us through the storm. See, we sing songs like Cornerstone just a few moments ago, and it talks about how he sees us through those moments and how he is all the things that we ever need. But what Jesus is saying is, do we sing those songs and then leave these walls and never live a word like that? Like, I'm not saying he, he says you have to do it in perfection. There's always struggles and doubts and moments where we kind of backslide, if you want to use that old kind of terminology, where you take a step back and you, you, you have some thoughts and you have some questions and some wonders. But what God is saying in all of this is, is he still at the foundation of your life? I heard a pastor say it like this. You know, a lot of times we like to go, God's number one, family, friends, two, three, right? What we really need to see God as is the, the, the pebble in the water that creates the ripple, right? We are still waters, and then God comes in and throws the rock in our, in our life, and everything from that impact has drawn purpose. And so we need to find ripples and everything from that foundation. Your whole life is built off God. 
both in this text and in Jesus' sermon, what God is saying to us is that our hearts drive our actions, but our public actions are only as good as our private devotion. Our public actions are only as good as our private devotion. Jesus continues in the sermon, ending it. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So you ask the question, how do I know if I'm following Jesus? I have a Socratic method for you. Let me ask you a question back. What do you do when no one else is looking? What do you crave when no one else is around? There's another way of asking it. What do you feel convicted about? I found that sometimes my convictions really reveal my heart. Talking about the sin versus living in sin. If we can perform actions of sin and feel no conviction, I think the Bible clearly points to us that we are outside of a healthy relationship with God. We should be convicted of sin because we're no longer functioning in the old ways. We are now new creations, new creatures in Christ. I want to show you one more Old Testament place. You probably remember King David, Goliath slayer, man after God's own heart, king. We won't talk about all the adultery and all the other things in his life. We'll just reference the good things, right? So David becomes king at one point. I don't know if you know this story of of David, but so before David was a guy named Saul, and before Saul was this guy named Samuel. Now, if you're reading 1 Samuel, you, you can kind of go through this, and I'm going to, because there's a lot of scriptures, I'm just going to kind of summarize the story for you. So God anoints Saul to become the king. Saul then gets appointed king, not necessarily by God, but definitely by the people. And as soon as he becomes king, it seems like this, the, the nation prospers. But soon after, he begins to sin. He begins to look at the, the needs, the wants, the desires of the people rather than the needs and wants and desires of God for him and for the people. And so Saul falls out of good relationship with the Lord and eventually is no longer king. And that's when God anoints this guy named David to be king. First Samuel chapter 16. Now everyone else is questioning what's going on in this moment. How are you going to anoint this young dude to be the king? He's not ready. He doesn't look the part. He doesn't have all of the pedigree that he should. And there's a famous verse in chapter 16. And it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So David was anointed as a youth to be king, but there's this 
thing that happens. It's called character development. Struggles, life. And for the next 17 years, David is a nobody. But at the end of that time, he finally goes from anointing of king to appointing of king. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Several years ago, I heard a sermon from Christine Kane. She's a public speaker. I think she used to be connected with Hillsong. She's done things with passion, all these other deals. And she actually spoke on this text, this one in 1 Samuel. And she, she talked about this, this idea, this, this um, illustration of a dark room. So for those of you that are photographers, you, not today, I guess you'd have to use old school methods, but we're used to take a picture and you'd have to develop the film. You'd have to go into what was called a dark room. Now inside of this room, there was no light. It was completely dark because you needed to let the pictures develop and they couldn't be exposed to light. And so you would take the film into this room and I think there was water and I didn't do all my research and apparently I didn't listen to her sermon good enough. But there was this process that you went through to help these photos come to life and develop. Now at the time of them being taken, that was kind of like she talked about, kind of the anointing of David from God where this is what is going to be the future. He will be king. This will be a picture. But the picture has to sit in this dark room for some time. And what you and I want is we want both God's anointing and appointing to be together. And so when we see about the blessings of God, when we see all the riches that we can have in Christ, not necessarily riches of this world, but spiritual riches, peace, wholeness, prosperity in him, we say, man, we want those things now. We've been anointed and I'm ready for the appointment. And what God is saying is sometimes we need to go into the dark room. We need to get out of all of the busyness and the distractions of this world and we need to set our hearts and our minds and our focus and our gaze on him. So whatever you desire outside of the dark room must be the same thing that you desire inside of the dark room. It must be this thing where our, our public outpouring our public life is nothing but a pouring out of what happens in our private life. And that is this picture. We need to be ready to be sent by God, but the only way that happens is if we are walking in step with him. In case you're sitting there going, I don't really know about this whole language of anointing, appointing. Let's look at it like this. Anointing is kind of a supernatural way of saying potential. Like you could be anointed by God to do an amazing work. But if you don't spend the time in the dark room, you don't spend the time in your prayer closet, you don't spend the time walking and developing your character with him, you may never receive the appointment to see that anointing fully function. Because your character didn't grow as God wanted it to. Because if he threw you into that appointing, all you would do was blow up. Look at Saul's life. Great example. Remember when I said he was anointed, but I'm not so sure that he was appointed by God. So how do we 
look at all of this information with the Old Testament and this, this idea of development and seeking after him with our hearts and get back to this question of how do we know that we're in Christ? How do we know that we're following him? How do we know that we have a foundation built on Jesus? I think I'd tell you this. If you want to learn to be a follower of Jesus, if you really want to see the fullness of God on display in your life, and you want to see his goodness, his mercy, his restorative powers in all areas of your life, stop looking for them where everyone else can see them and start looking for them by yourself with him. Theologians have written books based off of scripture pointing us to these ideas of spiritual disciplines. And here is the reality for most Christians. We want the appointing and the blessings of God without ever going through the anointing and the spiritual discipline of walking with him. And if you have the appointment without the anointing, you have calamity and disaster in your life. There was a podcast, came out a couple years ago, maybe a year ago now, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's a podcast about a church out on the West Coast. Pastor's name was Mark Driscoll. It's a very long podcast, very detailed. They, they do a very good job. If you're not familiar with Mars Hill, it, it was at one point the fastest growing church in America. They, they kind of led the whole podcast realm, meaning they were one of the first churches to ever uh, launch what was called a podcast back when you actually had to like go www. something to listen to a podcast. And man, they had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of listeners. The church grew to, mo I don't even know the number, I think it was 15, 20,000 within like five years. And Pastor Mark, I mean, he, he was preaching the gospel well. There's a lot of things he did really well, but one of the things that he didn't do well was he didn't prepare his heart for the level of exposure that he would have, and he didn't prepare his heart to fend off Satan in that. And I need you to know, this is not me throwing Pastor Mark or Mars Hill. This is a public thing, and so I'm not judging them. I don't know them. I, I never had coffee with a dude, all right? But what you saw, because I, I was a firsthand witness in this podcast, one of the best sermon series I've ever heard preached on the Ten Commandments was from this guy. So I had a little bit of, you know, investment there. But what happened over the next several years is their church began to blow up and then implode. Because the anointing was on but he didn't spend the time in the dark room preparing his heart. And he would say this, I think, if you followed him on Twitter and some of these other areas. He's admitted to some of the faults that he's had. And I, I think, I hope, I pray that he's repented and he's actually leading another church now. But what, sh what, what this reveals is that in order for us to have a foundation that's built on God and then function in the world as the, the Christ followers that he's called us to, to love God, love people, and invest in his kingdom, what, what it reveals is we have to do a lot more work working one-on-one -on -one with him rather than trying to worry about what the rest of you think about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in our Christian walk, a lot of the times, 
we, we, we care a lot more about what the rest of you think than what he thinks about us. Because we just, we, we, we've sought, we, we swallow one truth that, oh, I'm his son or daughter in Christ and I'm loved. And that's true. But if you're a daughter or a son, sometimes daddy will discipline, right? Sometimes you done messed up and there are things that will come your way because you done messed up. You know what I'm saying? And so we need to spend time individually focusing, saying, where is my foundation? Is it built off of the things that I do? Is it built off how much I give, how much I serve? Or is it built off the person and the work of Jesus? Then and only then will you be able to look back and answer the question, what is my foundation built on? Who am I following? As I started, I want to say, this is my final point. Every eye closed and every head bowed with me. Maybe you're sitting in the room this morning and you're struggling with foundation. You're struggling with who the Lord is for you. Maybe you're struggling with the application of this moment of, okay, So once I wrestle with where my foundation is, how do I ensure that I am constantly putting him at the center point of my life and finding meaning from the the inside out? My encouragement to you would be to ask that question on a regular basis, and that's a great start. To begin to say, God, search me. Search my heart, as the psalmist says. Purify me in the fire. Make me that new creation. And maybe, maybe express it differently. Make me feel like I'm the new creation. You know what I mean? Sometimes we feel like old leather rather than the new leather. We need to feel the presence of God in our lives. Pray for it. Ask it right now. Maybe you've heard what I'm, I'm speaking about this morning. You say, I don't have peace. I don't have wholeness. I desire those things. I desire purpose. I desire meaning. I desire love, but I'm not finding any of it. And I don't know where my relationship with Jesus is. I'd like to point you to the reality that you may not have one. And if you don't, Here is the simplest thing you can ever do to start a relationship. You don't have to, like, DM somebody. You just say, Jesus, I believe, and I follow you. Now, with that belief is that understanding that you were a sinner, meaning, like, you missed the mark of holiness that God set out. And every single one of us has is what his word says. We've missed the mark, and through sin, we were separated from God. But God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to bring you back into relationship with him and to make you whole again. And if you will repent, turn from yourself and believe, you can have wholeness, you can have peace, you can have a foundation that withstands all storms, all things that this world and Satan will ever throw at you, you will have a firm footing no matter your shoe size. And so I, I want to call you to pray that if that's you in the room this morning.
if you've never put your faith in Jesus. You want wholeness, you want peace, you want eternal life with him. Just say these words. I repent and I believe in Jesus. Maybe some of you are going through a storm right now. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. The altar is going to be open. He is your firm foundation. If you are in Christ, your first question shouldn't be, how do I fix this issue? Your question should be, God, how do I lay this at your feet? Say that to yourself. Maybe you need to find a, a dark room in this place today. Make an altar out of your seat. Slip into our prayer room out in the hall. Wherever that is, we all have a step to take with Jesus today. Every single one of us has been called to walk with him. Will you respond? My last thing. If you're going through something and you'd like some prayer this morning, you don't need to tell me what it is. I'd just like you to slip up your hand. I'd like to pray for you during this next song. You just slip up your hand and during this next song, I'll pray for you. I see you. See you. See you. God, this is your moment. Mold our hearts after yours. Help us to become less so that you can become more. Help us find the dark room spaces in our life. To ask the questions and to seek you. Break our heart for what breaks yours and help us get to this place, this fork in the road where we're not just saying, Lord, Lord, because of actions, but we're saying, Lord, Lord, because we have surrendered to you. Help our feet, our lips, and our lives represent our hearts for you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.